genius. I hate people. I hate people. This is why they're the worst. Are you ready for it? I love Reddit. <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah. I knew you were going to get no. mad. Yes, I love Reddit. I was going to say, um, midday recordings for the win. God, this is great. I still have my coffee. Okay, just... let me finish my thought. Ugh. Sorry, okay. everyone. We... All right. Well, first things first, as someone pointed out, such a good point. I'm Rachel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm Rebecca. This is Rebecca's voice. This is Rachel's voice. They sound the same, but Rachel will be telling her story today. That's me. Rebecca will be listening with weird commentary. I'm sure of it. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, We're identical twins. If you're new here, we love true crime, hate people. This is a weekly podcast where we stick to stories that have some sort of like twist or holy shit moment or like yeah, a shot factor. Or didn't see that coming or, you know, you know, um, that's just a little recap. And we love a survivor story. <sighs> Obviously. <laughs> so. But Rebecca made me promise that we wouldn't talk about Reddit anymore. So. <laughs> I had to start from the top just real quick. Ugh. Someone recommended us on Reddit and our whole lives have changed for the better sense. I know. Okay. Thank but you, that's... Nama. Stay away from me. You rock. <laughs> oh, all right. Usernames. Um, I know. And Carrie Mack is the one who said to address ourselves. Such a good call. I remember, remember listening to Karen in Georgia initially, and I used to not be able to tell them apart, which is absurd now. I know. But I remember the very beginning. I was like, they sound alike. Well, I wish they would. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, good call. Good call. I I just like take for granted that people that aren't our family and best, best friends aren't listening to this. I know. So they have no idea who's who. I get that. I get that. Totally. Um, We're recording midday. We don't have to. It's not 10 p.m. We're working from home. It's the best. Now I can just sit back with my coffee. I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Ditching my corporate life for a little bit. I mean, not ditching for good. I didn't quit or anything. If only, God, if this was our full-time jobs, I could research all damn day. Can you imagine? No, I cannot. But yeah, I'm so glad we're both working from home today. This is great. This is so fun already. I know. <laughs> all right. And then also note from the top that this is going to be the season one finale show. Oh, yeah. Just because she Rebecca's so nervous about this. I'm not. I I just think it's a good time to get we're starting to catch up with ourselves a little bit with number of stories. So we're like almost in real time. Yeah, we're almost in real time and it's feeling rushed. Um mm-hmm. and so I we don't want to like, you know, put out subpar stories that we're like, oh, that episode sucked, just to get one out. So like we're just gonna take like a month or something, catch up. But this will be a good one to end on, I think. And my next one will be a good season starter. Yeah, I agree. No more than a month. No more than a month. It, it, I don't know. We'll let you know when, but it'll be just yeah. a couple of weeks. We're not going a year. No, no. hell no. We'll um, announce. <laughs> yeah, we'll announce the return date as soon as we figure it out. I guess it'll be, I mean, definitely sometime in August. But yeah, we'll keep you posted. 
yeah, we'll keep you posted. This will be a good one to end on. And now with the way my stories have got gone, this is Rachel again. I better get this one out before a Netflix documentary comes out. Am I right? I know. You're two for two. Yo, I swear we've re- we record these or at the time of Frank Floyd, when that aired, we had actually recorded that like last April. Like we had like five story recordings under our belt before we actually launched. So then Frank Floyd documentary gets aired like last two weeks ago, whatever. Yeah. That was crazy. And now D.B. Cooper, which you did last week. Kind I mean, of. you did John Les, but I did John Les, but the story within a story was D.B. Cooper. And it's like fascinated me ever since. And so Payne and I started D.B. Cooper, Where Are You? on Netflix two, yesterday, two nights ago. It's so good. They're going to convince me. I, I, like, I'm with them. This guy is him. So it's not John Les. So oh. just, just watch. You'll be convinced, too. They did way more research than I did, obviously. <laughs> They're like... <laughs> uh-huh. Well, the full documentary is dedicated to D.B. Cooper's. Yours was John Les. But... Uh, <laughs> Okay, I'll start watching it. I love a conspiracy, but I'm sure he's dead, right? I thought I would think that he died from that fall, but no. Okay. They've they've got answers for all that and he is <gasps> alive and well. It's good. Watch it. Okay, I'll watch it tonight. Hell yeah. Pain's into it too. Barrett will like it. Okay, great. All right. Did you have anything else? I mean, not really. Just just gabbing with you. But I do want to I'm traveling every weekend in August as travel, and then September is Europe, and me and Barrett keep playing with the idea of moving to Amsterdam. So I'm just giving you that heads up now. Wouldn't that be fun? No. <laughs> do not do that. Okay. I will kill you. <laughs> D.C. was far enough. I know, but Amsterdam's so cool, and you only live once, man, and... I don't know. We'll see when we get there. We might be one of those people. I'm, I always envy those people who go on a trip and never come back. Don't oh. YOLO me with this. <laughs> I can't. I know. I don't know how realistic it is, but it is so fun to talk about. Oh, my about. God. It actually makes me really sad. I'm so mad now. Okay. Well, don't be. Don't be it. Good God. That's it, I guess. The part, well, <laughs> I did like a... A twinks ad. Oh my god! <laughs> Duh. This is sponsored by Twinks. That's T W I N N K S. If you're looking for a bra that doesn't show your VCL, that's visible cup line or some comfy ass loungewear. Head over to Twinks.com. That's two ends. Found about twin sisters that love true crime and hate people. It's us. It's our company. <laughs> yeah. Y'all, that's us. That's ours. <laughs> Wow, good call. Yeah. Well, someone was like, do they have ads? And I was like, nope, good news is we're new and no one wants to pay us. And I was like, oh, well, we should like kind of promote our own company, I guess. Sure. It's our damn company. We can do what we <laughs> damn well please. And I ain't paying shit out of that bank account to mine. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is kind of long. So let's just get it going. I mean, after all, we're pretty much just on our lunch breaks here. Right. I haven't taken a lunch break in fucking 10 years. I know. Same. Here, I'll turn off Roseanne. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, if you're like us and you work from home and you can't do just silence, you just need some background noise. Early episodes of Roseanne are hysterical. You don't have to pay attention. Well, unless you haven't seen them, then you need to sit and watch and pay attention because it's hilarious. 
Uh-huh. They're so funny. And it's on Hallmark like pretty much all morning. So I just like let it roll. It's so funny. Like legitimately funny. Like <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, no yeah. idea. It is laugh out loud. You think you remember it and every all the my friends used to be like no or they weren't ever allowed to watch Roseanne because it's like white trash Trashy. and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like no 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 really it's like witty. First, it's hysterical I'd say the first like four or five seasons it starts to get a little no but the yeah. early ones are so funny they're so damn good so I just turned this off for y'all Did, have you been watching Southern Charm and all that Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, me too. But I'm, I kind of like don't have anything to say about it. I don't either. I was Ka- thinking that. Catherine actually. makes me uncomfortable, per usual. Well, that's a given. That's it. That's it. Okay. Vanita modeled our Twinks bra for us. She, I love her. I know. She's, She's so cute. She's so cute. Okay. <laughs> all right. Great. Um, all right. I need my coffee nearby. Isn't that a cool mug? Oh, yeah. I love Your that. Your hand goes like in it. Oh, cool. Seattle. Was Alaska dark all day? No, it was light all day. Okay. (laughs) No, it was light sunset at like midnight. Okay. It was awesome. Anyway, so I'm telling you about Nicholas Barclay. I won't even tell you how many pages this is. Sources are Ranker, History 101, A New Yorker article by David Grann, Odyssey, Case File, and 60 Minutes Australia. Damn. Australia. I know. I actually don't know why, but because it was an international story. You'll see. I think I know it, but well, okay. God, I hope Uh, not. (laughs) Okay. June 13th, 1994, 13-year-old Nicholas Barclay was playing basketball with a friend near his home in San Antonio, Texas. The sun was starting to set, so he called his 24-year-old brother, Jason, to pick him up. But Jason was all, no, you can walk. So Nicholas told him to put his mom, Beverly, on the phone, but she was sleeping after her working her overnight shift at Dunkin' Donuts. Mm -hmm. So he was like, no, really, I'm not waking her up. Walk. The basketball courts were about a mile and a half away, but Nicholas never showed up at home. However, that wasn't that unusual. So the... Family really wasn't that worried yet. Nicholas was, as every single article described, troubled. Mm -hmm. I hate it. I don't love it. What does that even mean? Well, I'll tell you, but I'm scared people use it to negate the facts that he's missing. Right. But you need all the facts. So here they are. He's 13? 13, yeah. It's just that teenage angst. He's not troubled. Well, it's more than angst. Okay. I was a bitch, but I didn't... Oh, no, yeah, you are a bitch. No, no. He had a really sad home life. His mom was a functioning heroin addict, and they had a really bad relationship. Nicholas had a history of both physical and verbal violence, especially towards his mom, which is why she asked Jason to move back in so he could possibly help with Nicholas's behavior. But Jason was also a drug addict. When he first moved in, it did help ease tension, but eventually he gets caught up in the fighting too, so it ends up just making things way worse. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't uncommon for Nicholas to run away for like a day after a big fight with his mom. There were a few occasions that the cops were called to come calm him down because he would just get enraged. Oh. The cops were familiar with Nicholas because he already had a juvenile re- criminal record after stealing a pair of shoes, threatening one of his teachers and breaking into a convenience store. 
In fact, there was a court hearing for those crimes scheduled for June 14th, the day after he disappeared, to determine if he should go to a group juvenile delinquent home. So his family was like pretty confident that he was just trying to avoid that. Wow. Do you, what was the threat he made? Do you know what the threat he made to a teacher was? No. That just seemed like I can't imagine a threat where I would call the police and press charges on a 13 year old. Like, talk to the parents, sure. But that just seems so. Yeah, I don't know. Weird to me. My God, what was the threat? All right. No, I carry no on. Idea. I'll carry on. But when he was gone for over a day and didn't even come back for more money, and they knew he only had $5 with them, they started to worry and filed a missing persons report. Mm-hmm. Without a credit card or obviously a phone to track, Nicholas was untraceable. So his days long disappearance turned into several months. But after three months, his brother Jason was coming home one night and says he saw Nicholas trying to break into the garage, but ran away when the car pulled up. So Jason called the cops and the cops searched everywhere, but didn't find him. Nothing came from this, but like the brief encounter gave them some hope that he was at least alive. Oh, my God. Uh huh. Aside from that, leads were pretty much non-existent, and his mom felt like the police didn't have much interest. There was almost no media attention because of his reputation, which oh, is why. That breaks my heart. I hate the having to tell you about the troubled past, but. so Right. It's irrelevant. I know. So she would tell anyone that would listen what a loving kid he was. Oh. Like, it's sad. He's 13 years old. There's a missing baby. Right. Let's pay attention. Yeah. As the years went by, oh damn, I know. As the years went by, the Barclays started losing hope that he was alive. His 27 year old sister Carrie told the media, "quote It came to a point where you know you aren't going to find him alive, but you just want to know what happened to him." Oh yeah, I'm sure. I know. Uh, Jason's cocaine addiction spiraled after Nicholas went missing, so he checked himself into rehab, and eventually the case just goes completely cold. Then. Fast forward to October 7th, 1997, three years after his disappearance, San Antonio police get a call from a police officer in Linares, Spain, which is 300 miles south of Madrid. The officer said they found Nicholas roaming the streets of Linares. (gasps) He said after questioning, they were going to put him in a children's shelter where he can then be reunited with his family. Oh, my God. I know. San Antonio police called the Dunkin' Donuts to tell Beverly but she wasn't working that day, so they left a message with her coworker. <gasps> oh my God, was the coworker like, uh, uh. <laughs> actually, I would love to deliver that news. Right? You would think, like, you're a cop and you get to tell this mother who's been mourning her son for three years that her nightmare's over, and you're like, well, I called her place of work. What else can I do? Like, so the coworker called her at home. She was at home. Oh. My God. Well, yeah, well, we're like, uh, here's her home number. You can call her. But no, as the coworker, I would be like, fine, I'll deliver that news. What I'll, a blessing. I'll, I'll finish your to-do list for sure. <laughs> yeah. So she called Beverly at home and gave her the contact number to the shelter. Anyway, Beverly, obviously elated, calls the shelter, but someone who doesn't speak English kept answering. This went on for days. Oh. Can you imagine? No. Frustrating. His sister, Carrie, tries to call him. Finally, the director, Jonathan Dorian, answers. He speaks English. Thank God. He told her that Nicholas was even in the same room with him, but was too scared to talk to her. All the officer could say was that Nicholas had been abducted and sexually assaulted. 
Carrie had him hold out the phone and put her on speaker so she could tell Nicholas how much she loved him. And in response, Nicholas whispered, take me home. Oh, my God. My heart is in a million pieces. I know. Now the family was cleared to go over there and get Nicholas. Beverly had an intense fear of flying, so Carrie volunteered to go. She couldn't afford the plane ticket, so her employer paid for it. Again, it seems like something the San Antonio police could have covered, but okay. (laughs) All right. One week after getting the news that Nicholas was found, Carrie was en route to Spain, her first time ever out of the country. Employees from the shelter picked her up from the airport and took her to Nicholas. He was very nervous, but he walked up to her, gave him a big hug, and said, I love you. Again, Uh, tears. Yeah. They were taken into a visitor's room, and she showed him pictures of family over the years that he had missed. She asked him what happened, but he wasn't ready to talk about it, so she didn't push him. She just figured he'll open up when he's ready. Mm -hmm. As shelter employees organized getting Carrie and Nicholas back to Texas, Carrie called San Antonio FBI agent Nancy Fisher to update her on everything, and she was stunned in all of her years working with cases of missing kids. Nothing like this had ever happened. Nicholas was cleared by the courts to go home, but immigration wouldn't let him since he didn't have a U.S. passport. So Nancy Fisher worked with the U.S. State Department and embassy in Madrid, and they issued an emergency passport the same day, and Nicholas could finally go home. Mm. Carrie said once that was all sorted out, she asked Nicholas if he was ready to go home, and he said yes, and she responded, let's get the fuck out of here. (laughs) I love her. (laughs) Oh, my God, I love her. She's on that 60 Minutes. Oh, is she? Uh, you know what? Let's get the fuck out of here. Bring the fuck out, out of here. Dodge. When they landed in San Antonio, Carrie gave him the heads up that the entire family was at the gate waiting. Mm. <laughs> Which, by the way, probably I just, very overwhelming for him, but not a good idea. Beverly obviously should be there, but like aunts, uncles, everyone. Uh-uh. One had a video camera. Oh, see if I can post it. They, it's like online um, of him just like walking out the gate it's so overwhelming i can't imagine but yeah i would start it slow peeps well they did not mm-hmm. fbi agent nancy told them that she needed to interview nicholas as soon as he got home so they could start their investigation and hopefully catch his abductors so on november 4th 1997 nicholas went to the national center for missing and exploited children in san antonio to talk to nancy and told her everything he had been through and it's the most terrifying. So here's what happened. On June 13th, 1994, after he played basketball, two men started chatting with him. Next thing he knew, they shoved a washcloth in his face and he passed out. Clearly chloroform. Mm-hmm. He was being overseen by high-ranking military officers and through the use of a military plane, they flew him over to Europe where he and several other boys were <sighs> forced to constantly move, like bounce country to country in a pedophile sex ring. Uh, They broke both of his hands with a baseball bat. Oh, Jesus. Broke his leg with a crowbar and raped him almost nightly. Uh, If he spoke English, they'd beat him up. They made him. What was he supposed to speak? Yeah, either learn the language or don't speak, pretty much. Oh, my God. They made him and the other boys constantly wear headphones with screaming voices saying, you are not you in different languages. And it would just go on a loop. My God, what a mindfuck. I know. So because of this, and obviously not being allowed to speak English, he came home with like an accent. Oh, yeah. 
needing to disguise the boys, they dyed their hair and gave them glaucoma solution for their eyes that changed the color. So his eyes were blue, but they were kind of more brown. It was like a glaucoma medicine that does this. Oh, interesting. I know. Finally, one night he noticed one of the men left a door open and he just bolted, ran as fast as he could until he felt safe enough to stop at a phone booth and call the cops. So Nancy was like, holy shit, we're on it, and vowed to Nicholas that they would find the pedophile ring and free the other boys. Oh my God, it's like what happened to Johnny Gosh pedophile ring. Ugh. Hate that story too. I know. Nicholas moved in with Carrie, her husband Brian, and their 14-year-old son Cody into their trailer. He enrolled in the local high school and ended up being pretty popular. Hmm. Before long, his rebellious side started coming out again. He once stole Carrie's car just to drive around. They actually noted to drive around and Blair Michael Jackson. <laughs> Good for him. That was his favorite. But he was pulled over for speeding. So he got a wreck. Uh, How old is he at this point? It, he went 16. Oh, does he have a license? No. So they arre- that's what I was about to say. They arrested oh, him since sorry. he obviously didn't have a license. Oh. But we get- used to steal our parents' cars all the time. So what's the BFD, really? And nobody get pulled over. And I certainly wasn't 16. No. So. Definitely not. <laughs> um, but given everything they'd be- he had been through, they dropped the charges. They're like, it's fine. Steal the car whenever you want, pretty much. Um, Good. And the family also forgave him for pretty much any bad behavior. There, I mean, I would, too. Yeah, I would, too. You get immunity. Yeah. A few weeks later, the family had a barbecue and Jason came. This was going to be the first time Jason saw Nicholas. Nicholas said Jason was a little standoffish to him. He's probably nervous. I mean, I don't know. He was probably nervous. Yeah. But Jason's been- the drug addict the- brother? Yes. Okay. 24-year-old brother. But eventually, Jason pulled him aside, asked if they could talk. Um, he gave him a cross necklace Mm. They had a good chat, and Jason told him good luck, which Nicholas was thought was weird. That is weird. Okay. I guess in life. Mm. I don't know. The entire reunion was kept uber tight-lipped from by the family and authorities. They really didn't want word to get out that Nicholas was found because, A, trauma. Like, he's a kid and yeah. doesn't need everyone coming out of the woodworks asking for details of what happened. And B, mostly because Nancy didn't want to mess with the investigation and advised that if media did find out, do not do interviews. Yeah. Lo and behold, the media started hearing rumors that Nicholas was home. And the show Hard Copy hired a private investigator, Charlie Parker, to find out what was going on and see if they could score an interview with Nicholas. Which is hard hard copy. (sighs) So ballsy. Like, this kid has been through so much shit. And needs privacy. And they're like, nah, we need ratings. Yeah, exactly. God, you really do whatever you need to to get the story. God, shysty, shysty move. Whoever thought that showbiz could be shysty? <laughs> Whoever thought it'd be so cruel? Um, but golly. Never heard that. I know, but still. Have some boundaries, my God. No. They said, heard you, listening, but hard no. So, Charlie Parker was a former cop with a ton of experience with missing kids. He also volunteered with a charity that investigated unsolved children's murders. I love him. Okay. TBH. I mean, he's crossing boundaries, but he was hired to. Okay. What, what is hard copy? It's like a, 
a kind of a shistier access Hollywood, I guess like a TMZ. It's TMZ. like a tab- tabloid news show is how they describe it. I don't even know if it's still on, but they do shady things like that to get the story, I think. Clearly. You know, I think that's a reputation they have. I don't know if it's still a thing, but they think it's just on like s- a gossip site. It's not even like it's a TV show, but it's a they do like scandals and yeah, you know, I know, but it's like <laughs> gossip focused or sounds like celebrity, whatever TMZ type thing. It's not even like a huge, credible news source. Like, a, I don't know. All right. Well, I don't know. Sh- shady, shady biz. Invading a little kid like that. But okay. Love Charlie Clark, I guess. No, Charlie Parker. Oh. <laughs> oh. I think we went to high we school to, with Charlie. He's Clark. older than us. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, love him too. Sure. Sure. So Charlie Parker contacted FBI agent Nancy Fisher, who confirmed that Nicholas was home, but no way in hell she was giving him contact information. Ultimately, didn't matter because he was a pro, ended up finding Beverly and asking Nicholas if he would do a hard copy interview. Even though the FBI strongly discouraged it, Nicholas said yes. Oh, and, no. And I guess Beverly just was like, all right, whatever he says goes. Like, I just. Yeah, she would have to sign off on it. Really. Yeah, and he was a kid. So, but they did it. Hard copy came over to Carrie's house, set up cameras for the interview Charlie Parker also came to watch. They air the interview. Words out. Nicholas Matt, is home. And his position, my first interview, would be Nancy Grace. Okay. <laughs> Just saying that. My, I would speak to Nancy Grace before I spoke to the FBI. <laughs> For sure. And then I'd tell the FBI they need to add Nancy to the team of investigators. Uh-huh. And Just, interrogators. You Definitely to interrogate. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the investigation isn't moving along as Nancy had hoped. Nicholas repressed a lot of the details, so she was finding it hard to zero in on the kidnappers. So she reached out to Dr. Bruce Perry, a world-renowned forensic psychologist in Houston who specialized in children suffering from trauma. She asked him to interview Nicholas to see if he could get further details about the abduction, the men involved, just like something new that was probably repressed. So Dr. Perry was all sure. They flew Nicholas to Houston to meet Dr. Perry. And after the interview was over, he called Nancy to discuss it, not starting with the details of the abduction, but telling her, quote, I guarantee you that the person I met with was not born into an English speaking family. I just got chills up and down my back. Yeah. As Nicholas told Dr. Perry the story, He noticed how he wasn't showing any of the physiological or behavioral features that are common with someone retelling a traumatic event. For example, dilated pupils, edginess, really good posture. Isn't that interesting? If you're like retelling a traumatic event that happened to you, those are the features you commonly see. Oh, yeah. Because you kind of tense up. Yeah. I was just thinking how good my posture is right now. And when you just said that, because I'm sitting upright. Yeah, I can see that because you're all tense. Yeah. Sitting upright and you're attentive and. Yeah. So he's observing all this and he said, it seems like Nicholas was telling him a story about something that happened to someone else. (sighs) He seemed casual. The absolute biggest red flag was the accent. Dr. Perry said the second Nicholas introduced himself, alarm bells went off. And he told Nancy that if this person was born and raised into an American family, he would have reverted back to his original accent by now. 
I was wondering that actually, because he was gone for how three years? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering this. Here's the thing. Charlie Parker actually already brought up similar concerns to Nancy after the hard copy interview. As Nicholas was telling his story to hard copy, Charlie really starts to observe his behavior and is taken aback that he still had the accent, even though he's been home for several months. When looking at a picture of Nicholas as a kid, he also no- he was also shocked at how different he looked. Charlie then remembered reading a story about James Earl Ray, MLK's assassinator. Mm-hmm. He was arrested at London Heathrow Airport after they identified him by comparing him with a picture of his ears. Really? Apparently, ears are as, u- as unique as fingerprints and possibly even a better identifier because at birth, ears are fully formed and don't change. They grow, obviously. Interesting. (laughs) Everyone with infant ears. No, I know they grow, right? Obviously they grow. (laughs) Yeah. But the proportions stay the same. Whereas fingerprints can can change, like with calluses or labor. Over time, they can be different. Yeah. Before you ask, I know what you're about to ask. Identical twins have similar ears but not identical. Same with the fingerprints. So add Pete. that to the list of things that are not identical under fingerprints, but that is it. That is a two bullet list. We are done with it. <laughs> <laughs> so oh my God. But Nancy just, she's like in denial. She wants it to be her kids so bad. She, oh. Nancy's not the mom. Nancy's the FBI agent. Uh, Beverly's Beverly. Mom, but I'll get to all that. Okay. Sad note, though, I did. I wrote the story on my work computer while we were in Oregon and Washington. And so <laughs> if my ID, I mean, if my IT department tracks Google history, they're going to see searches of like chloroform and uh-huh. do identical twins have identical ears? <laughs> I think about that when I'm writing my story. I'm like, I, you see Dateline 2020s when they're like, well, their ser- internet search history was incriminating and i'm like no come on come on let's not give everyone a break because i'm researching like sexual sadists and yeah sodomy and oh i mean not well (laughs) something specific about sodomy that i have to learn from my story (laughs) oh god anyway so i was like god this is looking rough for me but anyway i know so so yeah charlie notices the ears Went home that night, or remembered that fact about the ears. Went home that night with a still shot of Nicholas during the hard copy interview and a picture of him from when he was young and using Photoshop, placed them on top of each other and called Nancy to tell her there was no way this person was Nicholas. Nancy brushed him off because the family wholeheartedly confirmed it was him. No reservations whatsoever. So she was like, sorry, we got like positive ID. Sorry, Charlie. But after the Dr. Perry conversation, she woke the F up. She admitted at first she was also obviously struck by how different he looked. So she did some research and found that there is a glaucoma medicine that changes the color of your eyes, but not that extreme and definitely not from blue to brown. Oh, my God. She was now convinced there's no way this was Nicholas. I just have questions swarming in my head and I know you'll get to them. So just carry carry on. on. Knew you're going to say that. Mm-hmm. After the interview with Dr. Perry, Nicholas flew back to San Antonio where Carrie, his sister, was supposed to pick him up from the airport. But Nancy had to call to tell her what she had learned and warned her that he could be dangerous. Like, 
They didn't know if he was a spy. Like they were like, who, what is going on? Can, I can't imagine being Carrie, all those feelings. You've been living with a stranger. He's been living at your house with your kid. Sleeping, and on, supposed, sleeping yeah. on her son's floor. They didn't have room for him. So he slept in the bed, like on the floor <gasps> next to her son. Oh my God. And now you're supposed to go pick him up from the airport. And what? before you, you leave, an FBI agent calls and says, that's not Nicholas. That's a stranger. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Obviously, Carrie was freaking out and Nancy told her, do not go to the airport. <laughs> you have oh, yeah. no obligation to keep them under your watch anymore. I'm going to pick them up. We're going to figure out what the F is going on and who this dude is. Yeah. So Nicholas, or I, I don't know what to call, questionable Nicholas, landed in San Antonio where Nancy was there waiting. And much to her surprise, so was Carrie. <gasps> Carrie stuck to the plan. Picked him up at the airport, even though Nancy said not to, and hugged him as if nothing happened. She Why? totally ignored Nancy's claims, said Nicholas was going home with her. Nancy was like, fine, huge mistake, but sure. Put your family in harm's way. Fine. Okay. A few days later, Nancy went over to their house, asked Nicholas to come with her for a DNA sample, which he said, sure. But when they got there, he became enraged because he said the nurses were, quote, staring at him like a freak. So no nurses don't do that. Yeah. So he left, obviously never giving a sample. Mm-hmm. Beverly was also being uncooperative about giving DNA, saying she knew it was her son and she didn't need to prove it. Hmm. So Nancy got a warrant and Nicholas had no option but to give his fingerprints and blood sample. Hmm. She sent the sample to the International Police Organization, Interpol, to see if they could find a match. While they're waiting on results, Charlie Parker who's still obviously looking into this because he was the one that figured out initially that something was off, got a call from Beverly, Nicholas's mom, who was in tears. She told him that the day before, one of her friends picked Nicholas up and they drove by an old apartment that she and Nicholas used to live in when he was young. And he was like obsessed with this apartment. He always talked about it, always missed it, et cetera. They passed the apartment and it was, he didn't say a word. Not know it. Uh, she said that's when she was like, shit, this is not Nicholas. I'm like, but what about all those world-renowned scientists telling you that it was impossible to be, but whatever. She was just in such denial. Yeah. Wanting it to be her son. But, oh, It's really sad. But It so, is really sad. But I bet when it's like an emotional connect, like an emotional memory like that, like you love this apartment and that goes unnoticed by Nicholas. I bet that was like. Look, gut yeah. punch. Like yeah. all these strangers are telling you it's an it can't be sure, blah, blah, blah. But all oh, that makes me feel bad for Bev Bev's. Mm-hmm. So but that's what made her snap out of it. He the apartment went unnoticed. Didn't even bad enough. I hope Carrie snaps out of it. Okay. Charlie called Nicholas and asked him to meet him for breakfast so they could talk about what Beverly said. They went to a diner and Charlie said, Nicholas. Your mother is very upset. And Nicholas looked at him directly in the eyes and said, quote, my name isn't Nicholas and you know it. Oh, my God. Willies. I know. When Charlie asked who he was, he finally admitted he was 23-year-old Frederick Borden and he was wanted by Interpol. Oh, my God. Frederick was born in Nantes, France. He didn't know who his dad was. And at two years old, child services put him in the care of his grandparents because his mom, quote, liked to drink, go out, and wanted nothing to do with the baby. Which is sad. sad. Yeah. So he moved in with his grandparents. And as he grows up, he starts getting into trouble. At 12 years old, he was sent to live in a juvenile home. 
like a juvenile group home. He'd get kicked out of that one, have to move to another one. It was that whole thing. He was just like bouncing from youth home to youth home. Finally, at 16, he ran away and hitchhiked to Paris, but with no food, shelter, anything, he was like scared. So he went up to a French officer and told him he was a missing British teenager named Jimmy Sale, hoping that they would send him to England. But the cop was like, bullshit. You're barely speaking English. There's no way. So Frederick admitted he lied. And that, but that's when he came up with the plan to like jump between orphanages and foster homes, just making up identities and looking. But d- for- how does he, does he just have a newspaper looking for m- missing no, children's he, names? He makes this up. Oh, Jimmy Sales is not a person. No, he totally made it up. Well, Nicholas Barclay is. Well, I'm getting there. So I'm, not. I'm looking. <laughs> I sh- I'm not. ashamed her. <laughs> he was looking for what he called the perfect shelter. I actually really feel bad for him. I'm waiting for you to give me shit. I, I'm like thinking. I have to sit on that for okay. a second. I know. But I mean, you, it is all in all very sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, this is the person who feels bad for Jeffrey Dahmer. So, <laughs> well, let me see how remorseful Nicholas is, or okay. you know, Frederick is. Okay. And if he's not remorseful, then I don't know. I mean, if, I feel uh, okay. If I'll this, sit on it. Okay. If this is the first episode you're listening to, you'll, if you decide to catch up, you'll learn that Rebecca feels bad for Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, you can, re, you can, I don't listen. feel like defending myself. So <laughs> I'll just let it be. But sure. I get, yeah. Just chew on that. Okay. As soon as these shelters start growing suspicious, he bolt go to another one, do the whole thing over again. So by the time he was 18, he'd pose as over 12 fictional children as he just bounced around Europe. So for constantly lying to police and magistrates, Interpol was on the hunt for him, which is why he was wanted. And when he came up with the plan to go to the U.S., so here's how he did it. Mm-hmm. He asked to use the phone at a shelter and called the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in Alexandria, Virginia, trolling for a real identity. Speaking English, since he now picked it, he perfected his English more. He still had an accent, obviously, but he told him his name was, he told him his name was Jonathan Dorian, a director from the shelter. So he was the one that called San Antonio police, obviously, Jonathan Dorian. Oh. Um, And he said he had a scared child with him who wouldn't say his name, but appeared to be American. He gave the woman on the phone a very vague description that pretty much matched himself he said the boy was short had a prominent chin brown hair gap in his teeth and asked if they had anyone in the database fitting that description she searched for a little while and came back and said it might be nicholas barclay who had been reported missing in san antonio texas in 1994 at the age of 13 she then told him she would mail him a copy of the missing persons flyer which she did and frederick was like perfect thanks so much this is all i need by the rest is history. Oh my God. By the time he finally admitted he's who he, clever. I know. I know. A smart, clever little boy. Okay. By the time he finally admitted who he was to Charlie Parker, Nancy Fisher had already gotten the DNA results back from Interpol, confirming that it was Frederick Bourdain and was working on getting a warrant. On March 6, 1998, almost six months after living with the family, he surrendered to police. Uh While in custody, though, he alluded 
that Beverly and Jason may have had something to do with Nicholas's disappearance and had to have known the entire time that he was not Nicholas. Hence, Jason coming to the barbecue, being weird, standoffish, and saying good luck. Oh, my God. Like, he later said in interviews, he was like, ooh, this guy knows what's going on. (gasps) Oh, okay. I got a chew on that, too. (laughs) The cops were like, while you're uber trustworthy... Frederick, mm-hmm. we already had our own suspicions, so chill. Apparently, before the fake return, the cops were looking into Beverly and Jason anyway, having known about their volatility, and after teachers from Nicholas's school made note of, note of various times he came to school with weird bruises. Oh. FBI agent Nancy gave Beverly a lab detector test and asked, do you know where Nicholas currently is? Obviously, she said no. The examiner said she passed, but strongly suspected she was on drugs, specifically methadone. Oof. To which she was. Later, she was. Wouldn't your blood pressure and heartbeat be, like, going a million miles per hour? No, I think it makes you, like, real chill. Oh, okay. I think it's, like, heroin. I don't know. I don't know my drug. Okay. So they waited a while for the drugs to wear off, gave it to her again with the exact same Mm -hmm. question, and she failed miserably. The examiner said, quote, she blew the instruments practically off the table. (gasps) When they pressed her with more questions, Beverly yelled, I don't have to put up with this and ran out the door. Nancy caught up with her and said, the hell you don't get back here. (laughs) And Nancy caught up with her and asked her why she was running. And Beverly furiously said, this is so typical of Nicholas. Look at the hell he's putting me through. (sighs) Which is sketch. And I don't want to stick up for her, but if she was coming off of methadone, like I would imagine you're just a wreck. I don't that's what I imagine the lie detector test would be off. You're like, I don't know, erratic and blood. I don't know. Maybe I, not. Need, I need to more I need to know more about methadone, but we'll go do it real quick. Okay. Let me know. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I bet she's agitated because maybe I don't know. But to say that about your missing kid? No, it's bad. It's very sketchy. It's so, incriminating. It's, that's it. I'd be like, okay, you, you did something. They then asked if they could interview Jason, and he was very resistant, but eventually came around. Nancy said she really had to work to pull words out. He wouldn't open up at all, even when she asked why he wasn't eager to see his brother when they thought he came home, because the barbecue was two months after he returned. And Jason didn't go see him, especially when he seemingly took it so hard. That's when they said his addiction spiraled. He gave him nothing, which made him obviously more suspicious. He then refused to talk to them without a lawyer. And several weeks after his interview, he died of a cocaine overdose, which a lot of people suspected was on purpose. Yeah, I'm sure it was. All in all, the cops are suspicious of Beverly, but never have enough evidence to go on. So... Nicholas Barclay has never been found and nobody's ever been charged. Frederick was sentenced to six years in a Texas prison, which was three times more than the recommended sentence for perjury and for obtaining and possessing fake documents. He got out in 2003, moved back to France, where he continued posing as teenage boys, eventually got caught, served four more months in prison. And after that stint, he met a French woman, got married, had five kids, and now they're just living happily in France. Wow. All right. I can get on board with Frederick. See, he's clever. And I like a 
I like a guy who sees a problem and fixes it. <laughs> no, I hate it because in an interview, obviously he has no remorse because he went on and did the exact same fucking thing. Right. No, yeah. And then in an interview, they're like, you don't feel bad that you just put this family through like an absolute living hell. And he's like, I mean, the alternative was going to prison. I'm like, how entitled oh are God. you? How dare you so, no. an- answer for your problems just put them on someone else and try to get out of it like screw you oh well then now i hate frederick again see i thought you just said you felt bad for him well looking for the perfect shelter he's pretty much been on his own since he was two it's sad that is sad the odds of him the i believe the only time he posed as an actual missing boy what are the odds that (laughs) the he goes to a family who actually murdered that boy and they're like uh yeah uh, sure we'll play along with this right gig. that only covers our tracks too so yeah let's do this perfect crime that's just I, so weird that like how do you done that to probably any other family in the world they would would have been like oh my god really? i don't know if they i don't know if beverly had anything to do with it well hold on let me this is my last thought okay when david grand the journalist for the new yorker article i read asked Beverly how she could believe a 23-year-old Frenchman was her son. She said she had she gone with her gut, she would have known right away. They just wanted it to be him so badly, and they kept making excuses. But, quote, he just didn't act like my son. I couldn't bond with him. I just didn't have that feeling. My heart went out for him, but not like a mother's would. The kid's a mess, and it's sad, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Oh. After Jason died, she said after she, she lost her two boys, she quit drugs. Oh, She, like, God. has a a steady job when he interviewed her he asked if she had anything to do with it obviously she said no he asked if she thought jason did i think the article said he she hesitated for a second and said she really doesn't think so but when he was on cocaine she said he was a different person he was crazy so i'm like i kind of think that maybe jason had something to do with it and she just doesn't want to explore that but i'm like they could, couldn't find any evidence. How a twenty-four-year-old, yeah, getting away with the perfect murder. I just, I'm like, I really either overestimate the cops or underestimate the wits of a twenty-four-year-old drug addict. Like, I just don't know how you could. Not a trace of them has ever been found. Nothing. But didn't you say at the beginning they didn't really? I mean, they can kind of considered him a runaway anyway, and. The media attention wasn't on it, and he wasn't getting much traction, and there probably wasn't much investigating. Especially yeah. in the 90s, everyone was a runaway, they claimed. Yeah, but this, after Frederick was found out, it, like, re I mean, I guess they didn't probably dig up, but I don't know what they yeah. did. They need to explore it, because he was 13 when he went missing. Like, he wouldn't be that old now. How old is he? Yeah, I know. Uh, but he could have, I'm thinking the brother did it. Because 90s, the DNA was still so new. I, I don't know. I yeah. think he did it. But what I can't, my, I keep thinking about an overdose on cocaine. Oh. You, that makes my heart. Like, I'm like, now that is a very strong upper. I bet that heart was, ugh. Oh, well, he's not the first to do so. Well, That's I know. Thing. I mean, I know. But like to purposefully do it and your body's trying to reject it, just. Oh, yeah. That, like, really stresses me out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it could have been accidental, but they, I think Beverly says in that article, too, it, it, she's not ruling out that it was 
suicide. on purpose suicide yeah. yeah sorry that was really inarticulate but so that is the story of nicholas barclay isn't that weird like how bizarre i can't and- sad for the family like they were hopeful but they knew it the whole time very sad for beverly if she actually didn't have anything to do with it which i'm sure she didn't well carrie Uh, his sister oh and carrie yeah absolutely for everyone hopefully there will be a netflix documentary on it (laughs) there'll be look there'll be a netflix documentary on it in a month y'all just and we'll all listen to that we can all chat about it light a fire under the san antonio pd that's right. So that will wrap us up for season one. We will we, keep y'all posted on when we're going to open up with season two. Um, we are get, we'll get a lot of episodes under our belt in this month break. So hopefully we'll just keep it rolling. Yep. Because this has been fun. This has been fun. And I'm just digging the research behind it and like, getting in these rabbit holes it's just so fun i know and feel free to um also if you know of a like weird story we don't love like super high profile because we're not gonna be able to do it justice outside of the millions of other people we've already done it but especially like a lesser known like weird ass story that you don't know a bunch of details on give it to us and we will do all the research for it. yeah um, but I will say my next one is a little high profile. I did a poll on Instagram and it was just so overwhelmingly people want to hear about it. Um, so mine's more well known, not as much in the U.S. Um, even it's actually. Fun. Yeah. So but I'm really trying to get in like the psychology behind it because I need to know what the hell is going on in these people's minds. And there's a bunch of little details. So I'm hoping even if you have heard heard my next story you'll learn something new or something yeah so stay tuned stay tuned and yeah if you have anyone that you want us to cover tell us uh people are the worst pod at gmail.com or like just message us on instagram whatever and thank you all and subscribe and review and follow us and uh tell your friends and critiques are welcome too and yeah God, we love the one about introducing ourselves. I know. It's such a good call. It's almost as if it should have been obvious. I know. So y'all keep it up. And yeah, word of mouth has been awesome. Oh my God, we ranked last week. In on the, Apple. On Apple's True Crime. Don't tell what number. <laughs> oh my, but if we ranked, it's less than 200. Just know that. <laughs> whoop, whoop. All right. All right. Y'all are the best. People are the worst. Bye. Bye.